If you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, if you have any difficulty finding it. And I know in your in your bulletins, uh, it, it has um, some different verses listed, the one I'm going to read here. I'm just going to add like a couple to the beginning and a couple to the end. So we're going to read Matthew 6, 5 through 14. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they might be seen by, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You'll see there's a section that we're familiar with that's missing there at the bottom uh, that, that we have added. Um, the last couple of verses say, For if you forgive others their trespasses, <clears throat> your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. I read that last bit because I think it's interesting that, and we're not going to focus on this, but it was just interesting to me that Jesus calls that out. He calls the forgiveness piece out. Jesus called out forgiveness as an issue. Um, he called out unforgiveness as an issue, as a sin, over and over and over and over and over. And, and I don't, I, just my own confession, I don't always think of unforgiveness in that light. I don't think of it in that way all the time. But um, but that throughout this whole sort of template for prayer that Jesus gives us, he calls out that unforgiveness piece to underscore its importance. So um, since Jesus underscored the importance, I, th I thought that I would this morning as well. Um, so this morning we're going to talk about prayer that, that pleases God. This We've been doing this series on prayer, on extraordinary prayer. Um, you know, it's funny, prayer is one of those things that you don't ever hear anybody go, you know, my prayer life is great. Every Christian across the board, if you ask them, you know, what's one area of your faith you wish you could improve upon? Well, I probably need to pray more. You know, we, we all ha seem to have that same common answer, which is a comfort for me because I know that I'm not the kid failing the class while, you know, some of the rest of you set the curve for us. But it's, it, we're all, we all struggle with this. And I think uh, we're going to talk a little bit about it this morning, but I think a lot of it just comes down to time and making time and, and, you know, we get so wrapped up in what's right in front of us because it's so loud. Um, prayer is central and all about our relationship with our Father, our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Prayer involves all three. You're praying to the Father, 
through Jesus and being assisted by the Holy Spirit all at the same time. It's a pretty powerful thing. I confess I don't often think of it that way. Um, but but it's really, really important, which is why we model it for our children, right, and our grandchildren. And um, we are trying to teach Elliot, my almost four-year-old, he would want me to say almost four. When someone says, how old are you? He says, four in March. Um, so, isn't it funny, the older you get, you want to be younger, but when you're younger, you want to be older. Um, but he, we, we try to teach him how to pray and he just doesn't quite get it yet. And so he's sort of praying, but also doing a lot of other things at the same time. Um, and that, that's when as a parent, you go, well, you just sit still. Um, but we, we try so hard to instill this into our kids and, and our grandkids, um, because we know that it's important. So this morning we're going to talk about a couple of things, how not to pray. And then as Jesus says, Pray then like this. How then should we pray? So how not to pray. First of all, don't pray as if God doesn't see. Jesus says in verses 5 and 6 this morning, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Meaning, They've, they're receiving the attention from others. That's the reward they want, and that's what they're receiving. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That sees in secret peace is so key. And uh, is a little bit uncomfortable, I think, for, for a lot of us. Um, it's not always a good feeling that God knows us intimately. It certainly should be. Um, but God sees everything we do. Um, he, he knows everything we think he's with us wherever we go. Um, Kathy has taught me a lot about that with us, wherever we go, whatever you go, whatever you do, you're taking the Holy spirit with you. You're taking God in with you. Um, and I, I hadn't always thought of it that way before. Um, there are no secrets with God. It, it should be a great feeling. It should bring us overwhelming joy, ab- abundant peace that we don't have to keep up secrets with God. We don't have to keep up appearances with God. But the fact is, is that sometimes we come to God in prayer, holding something behind our backs, right? Like a little kid hoping that he won't see it. Um, the other day, Elliot was trying to sneak, I don't know, candy or something upstairs. Um, and he goes to walk up the stairs like this. And I said, what are you doing? Nothing. I said, where are you going? Upstairs, play with Nora. I said, what do you have behind your back? Nothing. How often do we come to God like that? You know, uh, but we do that because if, if God doesn't see it, then we don't have to deal with it. We don't have to talk about it. We don't have to own it. Oh my gosh, we don't have to own it. How, how, to what great lengths do we go to not have to own our stuff before one another and even before God? It sounds silly, but we've all done it. The comfort for me is that God already knew all my secrets when he paid the price for my sin. He already knew. And so when I come to him, he already knows because he's already seen he was there. 
And so that stupid thing that I did, that I know upset him, when I try to hide it from him, it's even more foolish because he knows. He already knows, and he's waiting. He's waiting to talk about it. But we're used to human relationships where when someone finds out something ugly about us, they sometimes run the other way. And that's hurtful. And so sometimes we get our human relationships and and our relationship with our father kind of mixed up. And we'll come back to that a little bit later in a couple of other ways. J. Vernon McGee, who, if you know me very well, is one of my favorite preachers, once said, if you all knew the condition of my heart, you wouldn't even be here listening to me. But before you get up and leave the sanctuary, if I knew the condition of your heart, I wouldn't waste my time on you anyway. (laughs) Anybody who's ever heard J. Vernon McGee knows he's really blunt. If you haven't heard him, there's podcasts, Google it. Um, it's a really blunt way to say it, but, but it's true. We look, we look at one another and we go, oh, that's filthy. But God, God doesn't work like human relationships work. It's, it's not that way with God. God already knows because he's already seen and is ready to help us deal with it. So God doesn't run from those things that make us filthy. Instead, God's response is to make us clean. Don't pray as if God doesn't see you for who you really are. Because all that's going to do is keep you from dealing with things that must be dealt with in order for you to become that person that he created you to be. So we shouldn't pray as if God doesn't see, but we also shouldn't pray for show. So if you're keeping track this morning how not to pray, don't pray as if God doesn't see. Don't pray for show. Or another way to put that is don't pray so that everyone else will see. And we, we all know what this, what this is like. There's examples in scripture, uh, for us. Um, there's been examples in our life for it, but there's no special, special reward in heaven for the person that prays the most eloquently or prays in the, in the, in public the most. It's not like every time you pray in a restaurant, you get another notch. You know, um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't pray in public. That doesn't, you know, we, we live in black and whites, blacks and whites, right? We live in extremes and the, the truth of the gospel is always somewhere in the middle. That's what I love about Jesus. Jesus always falls somewhere in the middle. So when I get way out here and I, and I'm reading scripture, I'm, I'm pulled back to where I should be. Jesus isn't saying don't pray in public, um, he means check your heart when you do. Why are you doing it? What's your motivation? Um, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed with um, a friend in a restaurant and had someone come over and say, you know, I saw you guys praying over here, and uh, I just want you to know that was a real encouragement to me. I struggle with that, and thank you for, for doing that. That feels good, but it doesn't feel good because I got a compliment. It feels good because that brother or sister was encouraged. It doesn't feel good because of what I've done. It feels good because of what God is doing in that person's heart, in that person's life. That's why it feels good. Because it's just a reminder. And when you pray, you you see all these reminders of what God is doing, that God is working, that God has not stepped back. Because sometimes 
dealing with what we've dealt with the last two years and this constant up and down roller coaster and it's emotional and it's anxious. Sometimes you just go, God, what is going on? And when you see these little glimpses, you go, God is moving and it's great. Our motivations are often what gets us in the most trouble. And we'll come back to that heart condition thing in a minute. Also, don't pray as if God doesn't hear. Jesus says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking about pastors that pray long prayers and how they should shorten them so we can get out of here sooner. I'm just kidding. Jesus is essentially saying, don't babble. Don't, don't, don't waste time. Don't mince words. Don't pray for things that are meaningless. Again, the heart condition. Again. Don't, don't pray for things that are meaningless. Don't pray for things that are silly. Don't make small talk with, with God. God is concerned with your heart condition. That's what he wants to deal with. So get into it. But something that, that helps me with this when I think about how I pray is when, when you pray, you're essentially approaching the throne of the Almighty. Right? So... What would you act like? How would you speak? What words would you use when you're in the throne room of God? When Isaiah was in the throne room of God, the first thing he said was, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. His sin was immediately brought to his mind because the holiness in front of him was overwhelming. I don't often pray like that. I sometimes just pray because, Oh, hey God, before I fall asleep, I need these things. Oh, I know this person and they need these things. And again, it's because I don't allow myself enough time in the day. I don't set aside time every single day. I do some days, but not every single day to to spend time alone with God. Um, But if I were physically entering the throne room of God, how would I act? What would I say? How would I conduct myself? What would it feel like? Because that's exactly how we should view prayer. Any time we pray. We don't have to say a bunch of empty, eloquent things in an effort to impress God. Um, as, as we've been talking about this morning, God's concerned with the condition of our hearts, not the condition of our brains. He doesn't care about all the flowery language, about all the all, all the all the special little phrases that that we have. Um, And where this really becomes an issue, funny enough, is when we pray in front of others. So Jesus has just talked about praying publicly, right? And now he he warns about, about this. God wants to have a meaningful conversation with you. You don't have to worry about impressing him. And again, this is where we get mixed up between our human relationships and our relationship with our Father. Because with human relationships... Uh, we're always having to keep up with somebody, or at least we think we do. And we're always comparing ourselves to somebody because we think we, we have to be like that person. We're always trying to impress someone because we feel like we have to. I would say that you don't have to, but I know that that's a much bigger conversation for a different day. And we could spend all day here talking about that. 
But you certainly don't need to do that with God. You certainly don't need to do that with your father. God knows you intimately. So when you are trying to impress him, it's almost like, again, holding that thing behind your back, right? Except that thing you're holding behind your back is you. And you're trying to put on this false thing. What Jesus is saying is be genuine. Be who you are. Come as you are. Don't pray as if God doesn't know. Because your father knows what you need before you ask him. The biggest question I've ever been asked with regard to Christianity and my faith is why pray if God already knows? Why ask for it if God already knows? And I see a bunch of nodding heads, so I'm glad I'm not the only one getting that question. Um, And it's a hard question to answer sometimes, right? It's just kind of like, because we should. (laughs) And you hope that that sticks and it's good enough. Uh, But we pray, even though God already knows, because if we bring our needs before God, we're able to see then how God provides for those needs. We come to experience for ourselves the truth that God does work for good in all those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He does. And as we rely on him for that provision, and then he in turn provides, our faith is strengthened. Our relationship with him is strengthened. He really does provide all that we need in his own time and in his own way. And I know we don't like those last two, but that's the truth of it. And we know as we rely on him for our provision, as we let him know what we need, we know that his covenant promises are indeed true for us. His steadfast love endures forever and it never fails us. Never fails us. He indeed, he indeed will, wills to help us in our troubles and pain. Sometimes the tongue just doesn't work, you know. He wants to provide for us in our need and to work in all the hardships we have to work them for good. That doesn't mean they won't be hard, but they're not meaningless. We've just talked about so many hardships this morning. None of it's meaningless. And sometimes it seems like it is, but it's not. Because all of it is for his glory. And when he's glorified, he works for our glory. You don't have to work for your glory. God's doing it. God's handling it. So your father knows what you need before you ask him, but also your prayers don't have to be filled with extra words. Like we've already talked about, there's no need to impress God. God is not swayed by the quantity of words, but by the condition of your heart. We keep coming back to that this morning. It's integral integral to prayer because the condition of your heart determines how you pray and what you pray for and how you view prayer. And so if you just take one thing away today, just one thing, if you write one thing down, let it be this. God is concerned with the condition of your heart. God is concerned with your relationship with him. God desires for all of us to rely on him for our needs. He wants our wants to become his wants. That happens as we watch him fulfill our needs. We begin to want certain things less and want other things more. The Garden of Eden wasn't perfect because all of man's needs were met. It was perfect because all of man's needs were met by God. 
I'm sure that all of us can think of a lot of different ways that we try to meet our own needs day after day after day after day when really we should be relying on God to meet those needs. So two questions. First, we've already kind of talked about it, but is Jesus condemning all public praying? Well, no, because Jesus prayed in public. In John chapter 11, verses 41 and 42, Jesus Jesus is at Lazarus' tomb getting ready to raise him from the dead. It says, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus, and there are lots of other examples, but that was a major one um, that I came across. There, there are lots of examples of Jesus praying in public. Even when Jesus pulled away to be by himself, he did it publicly. The disciples saw him go do it. Other people saw him go do it. Um, so then, where should we pray? The short answer is everywhere, all the time. Paul says to, to pray without ceasing, which simply means to be in an attitude of prayer all the time, that prayers are constantly on your lips, they're constantly on your mind. So first, pray in the, what Jesus calls the secret place, which means you simply make, every, make time in your schedule every day to get alone with God, to get alone with God, to spend time with him, to spend time in his word, to spend time in prayer. To have a conversation with him of some kind. John Piper once said in a, in a sermon about about hardship and, and the fact that God is in fact in control of everything. Piper said, therefore do not lose heart. But take these truths and day by day focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind. And until your soul sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. See, as we, as we open God's word in conjunction with prayer, those truths that come out in God's word then get weaved into our prayers and we become assured that they are in fact real, that the promises of scripture are in fact real and they are there for us to claim. But you don't see that until you pray those things and you watch God answer and you watch God be faithful to his word. Secondly, we pray with our families. Um, I think we can all agree that the enemy has launched an all-out assault on families. Um, whether it's abortion or homosexuality or adultery or any number of other things, the culture is calling things clean that God has called unclean. And the culture is calling things clean that destroy families. And as someone who has three kids, it's hurtful to me. Um, to watch. But hear this, never has there been a time when it is more important to pray with our families and to pray for our families. One of the things I love about Olivet is we have a rotation of people of, or of families every month that get prayed for. And so you can look and see the names and, and you know that on that day, if it's your name, that there are people in this body that are praying for you. That's an amazing feeling. Um, you know, I will say for husbands and wives, if you, if you want to grow closer, try praying together. And I know that all the husbands in the room just went, because it's uncomfortable. And I'll warn you, it's going to be weird at first. 
It is. But then it becomes this beautiful thing where you hear what your spouse is crying out to God for. And they hear what you're crying out to God for. Um, And it doesn't even have to be your spouse. If you're in a relationship with someone, do this before you go home for the evening. Um, Because as as each one of you hears what, what the other is crying out to God for, you begin to cry out with one voice. And it binds you together with cords that can't be broken. And so if you want to set an example and build a foundation for your children and your grandchildren, pray with them, pray for them, pray in front of them, set the example. I used to go to my uh, grand, my, my dad's parents' house, my grandparents' house um, on Friday nights so that I could get up at 6 in the morning, this was middle school and high school, at 6 in the morning on Saturday and go to the Gideon prayer breakfast with my grandpa. Why? I don't know, but I did. And I, I loved being with him. I just, I loved being with him. And um, one morning I woke up early. I'm going to try and make it through this story. Uh, I woke up early one morning and I, I heard him uh, praying by name for every single one of us in the family. And it made such an impression. And it formed such a foundation for how to pray. He had no idea I was awake. That was just his thing. That's something he did every day. But I heard him doing that, and I just went, wow. And the thing that killed me is I never told him what I needed prayer for. He just picked up on it by listening. Um, pray with your families. Pray for your families. Pray in small groups. You know, it's important that we make known to the body of Christ our needs and our petitions. And some of them, if you're like me, you're not very good at asking for prayer for yourself because you're just too prideful. Um, and I'm too prideful is what I mean to say there. Um, but it's so necessary because sometimes we just want to look like we have it all together. And we don't. We don't. But it's important that that we relinquish control and we let the body of Christ pray over us, pray for us, support us. That's the role. If you don't allow that, you're, you're splitting yourself off from the body, which is not what God intended. It's actually what the enemy intends. Um, but few of us would stand up here and share our requests and our petitions to God. Some of us would. Kathy would. But... <laughs> but uh, Some of us may be a little more shy. Um, In a smaller group setting, that becomes a lot easier. It becomes a lot more intimate. You form relationships with your small group. We have have two small groups that meet right after this service upstairs. You're welcome to join us. I'd encourage you to join us if you don't already. But we, we develop close relationships where I know that those people are praying for me throughout the week. When they say, and when any one of those people says, I'll be praying, I know that they will be. Um, That's a tremendous aid to me throughout the week. Um, Lastly, where do you pray? You pray in worship. Prayer should be integral to our worship service. One of the things that attracted me to join Olivet was because prayer is such an integral part of our worship service. we, we, We pray multiple times during the worship service. And sometimes he sneaks a little pre sermon in there. If you notice that, um, just kidding, Dave. I'm sure he's watching at home. Just kidding. <laughs> but 
But if we're not coming before Almighty God as we worship him, and if we're not exalting him, pouring out thanksgiving at his feet, and laying bare those things that we need forgiveness for, and bringing our needs to him, what's the point of worship? That's sort of the point, right? To come here, to praise God for who he is, to thank him for what he has done in our lives and the lives of those around us, and, and, to, and to pour out those things that are sort of gunking our souls up. You know what I mean? To dig it out and leave it here and don't pick it up when we walk out the door. That's the hard part. If we didn't have prayer as part of our worship service, I was thinking this week, it's like saying that we're going to go to like Thanksgiving with our family. We're just not going to talk to anybody. You know, we're just going to sit there and eat, but we're not going to, we're not going to talk to anybody. That would be silly. That would be weird. Why would you come to worship and not spend time talking to God? So why pray? Well, because God tells us to, you know, in this, in our passage this morning, Jesus says, and when you pray, not if you pray, not after you learn to pray, when you pray, Jesus says, it's an assumption. It's an assumed thing. When you pray, um, you know, Jesus was constantly pulling away for time alone with God. Before he chose his disciples, what did he do? Prayed all night for who they would be. Um, you know, and when you read about Jesus' three-year ministry, he accomplished so much in three years. When you read the Gospel of Mark, it's like a guy bursting into a room full of people going, you're never going to believe this. And then we did this. And then immediately we did this. And then immediately we did And it kind of feels like that when you read it. And yet Jesus made time constantly to, to pull away and have relationship with God. I'm pretty sure that Jesus had a pretty intimate relationship with the Father. And if he took time out of his busy schedule, which was frankly way busier than mine, and way more important than mine, if he took time to do that, and my goal is to become more like him, why would I not follow that example? Why would I not do that? If Jesus thought it was so important, and Jesus, who's part of the Trinity, God the Son, thought it was important to commune with the Father, why would I not? But also, prayer increases our joy. John 16, it says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Folks, this is really important. Um, contrary to false gospels like the prosperity gospel in our country, God's desire is not for you to be rich and famous. It's for something a lot greater than that. It's for something a lot better than that. In Luke 5, um, it says, On those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, 
pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. The thing that strikes me about this story is that Jesus forgave the man's sins and then healed the physical issue. Not the other way around. Why? Because Jesus healed the real issue first. He went to the real issue first, and then he healed the body. God desires for us something greater than we desire for ourselves. God wants us to have deep, abundant joy that is everlasting. Not temporary happiness on this earth that can be purchased with wealth or whatever. But this comes with watching God answer our prayers, work with our prayers, provide for us as a result of our prayers. And let's be clear, God does not always answer our prayers the way we want him to. But God always answers prayer. It just may not be the answer we were wanting and we were hoping for. But then when you step back later, because hindsight's twenty twenty, you step back and you go, oh, wow, he did answer that. And actually it was better than what I was asking for can't tell you how many times that's happened. And I'm sure you guys could share many more stories than I have. But also we pray because it is a staggeringly awesome privilege to be able to come before God the Father Almighty. Romans 11 says, Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. When we pray, we get to experience the fullness of our restored relationship with the Father. We get to experience the reason why Jesus paid our debt. We'll someday live forever with God, but that eternal life starts now. It starts today. The kingdom is here. You can dwell with God here day by day. Those those of us who, who've done some prison ministry have heard say several times, I've, I met men inside who are more free than men on the outside. Because eternal life starts now. It doesn't start the day you die. Part of the life that I'm talking about is living life hand in hand with the Father. Having the privilege to approach the throne whenever we want. Prayer glorifies the Father, and the Son. Like I said earlier, when we we pray, we pray through Jesus. We're assisted by the Holy Spirit. We're made clean through Jesus and so are then able to approach the throne of the Father and be in a restored, right relationship with Him. It is only because of Jesus that we have this privilege. I think that's why the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? We see you do it, Jesus. Are we able to do that? How do we do that? So, a couple of last things here. First, you're praying to an audience of one. We pray to no one else but God. No one else is worthy of our praise and our prayers. No one else is even in a position to receive our praise and our prayers. Only Almighty God has the power to receive our prayers and do anything with them. And this is our one-on-one time with God. Who who am I? Who are we that the creator of the universe would want to have a one-on-one conversation with us? We are his creations. We're his children. 
I'm nobody. I'm a broken vessel. And somehow my father delights in time spent with me, which is humbling. So prayer in this and what we're talking about this morning, prayer can also be offered according to a pattern. When they said, how, how then shall we pray? Jesus said, pray then like this. He didn't say pray this special prayer. He said, pray like this. And he gave them this pattern for, for prayer. Um, and we're going to expand the second part of this next week. But he started with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, praising God for who he is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So exalting God for who he is and, and admitting to, to him and to ourselves that ultimately our want is for his will to be done here, just like it is there. For the kingdom to be here that's our ultimate will as followers of Christ. The Lord's Prayer is sort of this model when we don't know what to say, when we don't know how to pray. Maybe we've never prayed before and we, we don't even know where to start. I love this because it's, it's one more example in Scripture of God meeting me where I am. God doesn't set the bar up here and go, okay, how high can you jump? God makes a way. God meets you where you are. So again, the first part of the pattern is glorifying God for who he is. Um, and we pray for God's kingdom to come. And yes, we're, we're praying, come Lord Jesus, but we're also, when you pray that prayer, you're also acknowledging that you're willing to give up all of your control and let God have his way here. And I think that it's interesting that Jesus made that the second piece. That in order to pray anything else, you have to acknowledge that you're going to lay down your will. And let God have his way. We talked a few weeks ago about dangerous prayers. And that is a dangerous prayer. Um, the Lord's Prayer is, is, is a beautiful thing. And it gives us, many of us, that's where we, where we started. And um, we didn't even know what all the words meant. But we started there. And it formed a foundation. We'll expand the second half of the Lord's Prayer next week. But I want to key in on that, that first part. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I would challenge you as we continue in worship to be praying about that. Is that really your deepest desire? For his kingdom to come and his will be done. Pray with me. Oh, Father, um, you know, many times we talk about how wonderful it will be when you return. When Jesus returns, when the kingdom is set up here, when the new heaven and the new earth and everything is all set the way it was always supposed to be. When we finally have, um, as, as the Jewish people say, when we finally have shalom, when everything is set right. Uh, but God, we confess that, that, is, that that's a scary thing for us because it's unfamiliar. It's unfamiliar and it means that we don't have control over the situation. God, help us to silence our fears and to know that you know the plans you have for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. Those were your words to your people back in Jeremiah, and I think that they're your words to us today. That through prayer, God, we develop a trust relationship with you, and we can slowly pull back from our fears and our anxieties of what if or what might happen. 
We love you, God. We just ask that you continue to speak to our hearts as we continue in worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.